Gazette. Hello there, friends. I'm your host, Kendra Winchester, and this is Read Appalachia, a podcast celebrating Appalachian literature and writing. And this is episode 17, which is all about short stories. Welcome back to my library, friends. I can now look out my window and see the fall foliage. We've been having a very warm fall, so I'm happy that we finally have some trees changing (laughs) colors. It is, uh, it's finally here. I love fall. It is my favorite season. It's hard to believe it's been almost an entire year of Reed Appalachia since it first premiered in January. I started recording a year ago And I just can't believe it. I just can't believe that it has really gone by so quickly. It's been an incredible season with so many guests, and I'm going to be highlighting some of them over on social media during this like end of the year period. So if you've missed some episodes, that'll be a nice little excerpt for you, and maybe you'll go back and find some of the backlist episodes. But today, we are talking about our last theme of the year. But before we start talking about short stories, I want to give you a little overview about what you can expect with Read Appalachia with the end of this season and the beginning of season two. So like I mentioned, this is the last themed episode of the year, but it's not the last episode of the season. That will happen in the middle of December. We'll have our season finale. It's going to be a great time. So stay tuned for that. Then I will be taking a two-month-ish break so I can prep for season two. Now, I think I have a general idea of the theme for that season. As many of you know, I like to theme seasons, so this season is Appalachian Lit 101, and then season two will have its own theme that kind of builds on season one. It's been lovely to be able to talk with you all about what is Appalachian literature, where does it come from, and where's it going. I have loved that with this season, and I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. So season two will most likely premiere uh, sometime in February, and then we'll go back to our regular schedule, and I'll have more details of probably closer to when it launches. So definitely keep an eye out uh, for Read Appalachia on your social media at Read Appalachia. Okay, so on to today's theme. This episode's theme is short stories. And when I was working on the background of short stories, I wrote down the question, why short stories? I'm not really sure what first drew me to short stories. I was definitely more of a novel girly in grad school when I was um, working on my MA in English. But when I started working on bookish social media after I graduated, I began trying new things, new kinds of books, especially contemporary books that I had never picked up before. And that's really what introduced me to the contemporary short story as we know it today. At the time that I started working in social media, fantastical short stories were definitely in vogue. Uh, They used like this type of fabulism, kind of magical elements, and that really drew me in. I'm a huge lover of fairy tales, and that really inspired a lot of short story writers at the time. I remember when I picked up Kelly Link's collection, Get in Trouble, I had no idea who she was, but I started reading those short stories and I could not put them down. It was just incredible. And then, of course, you have other fantastical short story collections like uh, Ramona Asabel has several collections that are really great. You have Anjali Sachdeva's All the Names They Use for God, Jen Campbell's The Beginning of the World in the Middle of the Night. All of these really draw from fairy tales and fabulism. But of course, a short story does not have to be fantastical to be incredible, and I think I really began to love realism in short stories when I picked up Alice Munro. Alice Munro is a Canadian writer who won the Nobel Prize for her work in short stories. She is really a master of her craft. And she also has a lot of, I think, sentimental value for me. When I first began not being able to read text, I I was a hot mess. Honestly, I work in books and I write things. And so it was a lot. But I had a friend uh, who I met online, and we're bookish friends, and he was like, oh, you can't read? Here, let me read these short stories to you. And so he read Alice Munro to me 
uh, over <laughs> like an app. And it was one of the most kindest things people have ever done for me in regards to trying to accommodate uh, my particular disability. And that was just, I'll, I'll never forget that. That was just really kind. And so Alice Monroe does have a, an additional special place in my heart because of that. So, okay, yes, I love short stories, but why did I want to pick them for a theme, particularly for this month? I am, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, so, all right, the holiday season. I love the holiday season. I'm big on holidays from Halloween until the new year is just one of my favorite times of year. I go all in. And what I really love are these like advent calendars and they're advent calendars, not in the religious sense, but more like a countdown calendar for Christmas. And so I remember my mom had a few different ones growing up. But a few years ago, I had a sponsor for my previous podcast, and it was a collection of these tiny printed out individual short stories, and they would have a number on them. And so you could read one short story a day leading up to Christmas, and I just fell in love it's an incredible, incredible little thing. If I can find the link for it, again, I will put it in the show notes. But I remember one year I received it and I could not read the text. And that was just, it was just really sad, quite frankly. Uh, so I decided though this year, why not create my own countdown with short story collections that I have chosen and just read one short story a day. So that is what I'm going to do this year. And that is what I am going to encourage folks to do. Um, you can go and find the calendar set, or you can just pick up the short story collections you have in your house or go buy a new one, whatever your choice, but there'll be a lot of short story collection recommendations over on our website, Read Appalachia. Now, you might have noticed that up until this point, I have mentioned writers who live outside the region. So that is why we're having this episode today. Because, you know, I read Disha Filial's The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, and it is by far one of my favorite collections I have ever read. And when I read it, I was like, yes, this is it. There's just some magic, the light bulb that turned on that I just didn't even know a writer could do something like this in a short story. And so I absolutely love her writing. But I realized I haven't actually read a ton of short story collections from Appalachia. So again, I will be linking some in the show notes. But I thought today then we would talk to two short story writers. One of them, he has been writing for decades and has, I think, over 10 short story collections. Uh, very prolific. So you'll have a lot there. But first, I wanted to talk to a debut author who's just debuted her first set of short stories. But before I introduce them, let's take a little break to talk about how you can support Read Appalachia. Read Appalachia is my passion project. It's something that I have loved doing. I love supporting and promoting Appalachian writing and authors, and it's just really been a joy. This first season has just been incredible, and I'm so grateful for the support that you all have given me as I've been trying to get this podcast up off the ground. So over the course of this episode, we'll be talking about a few different ways that you can support the show. Of course, the number one thing that you can do to support Read Appalachia is to share it with others. You can tell your friends, share it with your followers on X, whatever that abomination is called now. And, you know, you can close in your newsletters, you can share it on your Instagram stories, whatever the case. I am greatly appreciative for all of you who've already done that. It really helps the show get out there and find new listeners. And of course, another way you can support the show is to review Read Appalachia on your podcatcher of choice. Obviously, this is, you know, review favorably, but uh, this is a thing that helps the algorithm gods smile upon us when people are looking to see if they want one of their authors on the show. They might look up Read Appalachia and see what the reviews are like. This just really helps across the board. So if you already haven't reviewed Read Appalachia in Apple Podcasts in particular, I would greatly appreciate it if you would do that. It would mean the world. All right. Well, back to our show.
So we will be talking to two different short story writers today. Later on in the show, I'll be talking to George Singleton, who has a lot of short story collections out. We actually were sitting there trying to count them all. I think he said over 10 short story collections. He also has a essay collection out called Asides. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But first, I am talking to Hallie Hill, whose debut short story collection, Good Women, is out now from Hub City Press. As as I have said many times on this podcast, I really love Hub City Press's books. They always do such a great job of uh, you know, selecting their titles and creating just great lists. And so I have had my eye on Good Women since it was announced, and I cannot believe it's out in the world now. I am just a huge fan. And so I talked to Hallie Hill today about writing short stories, why she loves short stories, and some of the things that she was trying to do with the collection as a whole. But I guess you don't need me to tell you that. Uh, So without further ado, here's my conversation with Hallie Hill about her short story collection, Good Women. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm Hallie Hill. I'm from East Tennessee, and I live in the Piedmont of North Carolina now. Um, I'm a short fiction writer, and my first book came out on September 12th of this year called Good Women, and it follows 12 lives of 12 black women in Appalachia and the Deep South. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say, but that's, I guess, a good fit of who I am. Um, I'm really happy to be here. So you mentioned your short story collection, which is why we are here today to talk about short stories. Why do you love short stories? I think I love short stories for a couple of reasons. I, I was thinking about that today, actually. First of all, I think short stories are fantastic because it is accessible for so many people. Um, I think Short stories are just a great entry for many people for all different types of literature. But I also think it's a sweet spot for people who love like longer narratives and novels or for people who love poetry. It just kind of meets all of the worlds in the right place. I think for me too, as a Black woman, writing about Black women, I find that so many of our stories are patchwork stories, you know, almost like a quilt And so they're full of bits and pieces that all thread together to make one universal story in a way, even though our expressions are all so unique. And I just think short stories can capture that in a way that sometimes a novel can't. So that's something I'm really excited about with short stories. I love short stories because of the challenge. I think it requires um, brevity. There is just a sense of strategy in a short story. But then there's also this really exciting part of, um, I guess, intuition that short stories require. And I'm always excited about that. And they they help me pay attention to, I can get distracted and short stories are are just enough for me um, to stay focused, I guess. So that's the reason why I really love them. I think they're just really magical and they satisfy something for me that other mediums can't. And Good Women is your your debut book. Uh, and I have been looking forward to this for a very long time. So I'm so happy to finally have it in my hands. Um, but you've been publishing your stories in different publications. Um, how did you end up gathering them together in the collection that we now can, can buy from Hub City Press? Well, I started the book... A while ago, I also kind of was writing short stories in secret for a while because I didn't feel confident in my fiction abilities. Um, so that was part of the c- collecting stories. Um, but they came about from my MFA thesis. I wrote uh, half of them for the, for the thesis, and I actually took an extended thesis. You're typically supposed to write, write it over a semester. I asked to write it over a year because I'm a really slow writer. I had this very daunting thesis chair who was like the perfect person for me to work with, but I also really admired him and was really intimidated by him because he doesn't accept bullshit. <laughs> so 
it was an honor to work with him. And after I got to the end, he just really kind of spoke life over me and just said, these stories could make a book. You know, you should really keep going. So I did. And I was fortunate for my first story ever to be published in the Oxford American. It won the um, debut fiction prize in 2020. And then from there, I was able to um, talk about the collection more because that's the beautiful thing about some of these bigger publications. They do reach a lot of people and it all kind of fell into place. And Hub City was my perfect fit. So I started in graduate school when I kind of first believed that I had a collection. I just love your collection. And there's just something about it that each story is so unique in that the what's going on, the women, the women's life, how they handle the the you know society's expectations of what good women, of what good black women are supposed to be doing um, and how they brush against that. And they all make different decisions. I imagine like having so many different characters and different stories must have been fairly challenging. What did what did you find particularly challenging about putting all of these women's stories together in a collection? Well, I think I what was one of the main challenges for from the collection was was resisting the temptation to make it a linked collection. A lot of times people want to say like short story collections are really hard um, to sell. Pepsi never told me that, of course, but um, so you kind of hear in your MFA or or from other writing workshops you should try to link them to make it feel as close as a novel. But these women just didn't want to be related in that way. So it, no matter when I, how much I tried, it didn't work. There is one story where there is a link, um, or two stories where there's a small link, but it's, it's not a link collection. I think the hardest part, too, was um, in a way, like you're channeling so many different people, and it can be really hard to take that and mold it down into something that's cohesive. Um, but it, it, it ended up working out, which is one of the mysteries of just writing fiction in general. Like some things just are going to happen and work out well um, without you even really realizing what your subconscious is doing. Um, you're kind of working for yourself, which is great. The other challenge, too, was just stepping into accepting these women as they are and. Um, letting them wrestle and push up against respectability politics, giving them space to make really big mistakes and have big questions and have big ache and to not experience resolve in a lot of the ways or um, allowing them to um, allowing them to struggle um, while also simultaneously showing their moments of joy. It was hard because I didn't, I worried what people would think. Would they? Will readers extend grace to these women? Will they? Will they be able to live with that shame? Um, but ultimately, I realized that has to come from from the author. You know, you have to write a space for people to live authentically. So those were some of the challenges. I just, I just love that. I keep thinking about all the endings and I'm obviously I'm not going to give any spoilers but I just keep thinking about the endings of these stories and how that works and how each woman has to make her own way in the world and sometimes she's making decisions to correct a past mistake or uh, she feels pressured to do something for some reason from another character and she has to decide what to do that in the end and you know I finished the collection over the weekend because uh, I, I didn't want it to end. So I was taking a long time, but I just loved it. And all the characters are so vibrant. Sometimes when I read a short story collection, all the protagonists from the stories like kind of mush together and I forget who's in what story. But this one, they were all so distinct, which was just lovely. I am just, I'm just so thrilled to hear you say that. Uh, it means a lot. And it it's so special when people read closely or they can, I love when someone says they didn't want it to end or they felt like the book was worth taking their time with. That's like the best. I think a lot of these women are just like, please see me. <laughs> you know, like I think even the most private and bashful of them at her core is asking like, will you spend some time with me and care? You know, and I loved 
it was sometimes that my brain would be hurting because I was like, there's too many people talking in my head in <laughs> this book. But I did I did base a lot of the characters, even if it was just 10% on, um, especially my, my grandmother and my great-grandmother who passed away. So when you have like these very real but also larger-than-life women in your life, um, it just really helps you embody that in, in the characters, at least I hope so. So that was that was a delight. And I love how so much of these women, even though they're not like directly connected with each other as characters in like the same universe, as it were, they're all connected by Southern Appalachian culture and um, how that manifests in their lives and the traditions that they have and the social norms. Um, can you talk a little bit about how um, Southern and Appalachian col- culture impacted the way that you told these stories? Absolutely. I think the exciting part about um, being from the South and writing from the South is that you get to show it in a sense, in a fresh way, even if it's your lived life. Um, And I think a lot of people mystify the South or they, especially Appalachia, or they kind of have this weird fetish with it. And they think like people are kind of like floating around everywhere. Every old man is a shaman and you know, just all these like ridiculous things. And you're like, no, like there's Belk and there's, you know, um, big cities and there's small cities and there's all different socioeconomic experiences and there is poverty and there are, there's enormous capitalistic, you know, billionaire people. There's every single type of person just like anywhere else. But I think what's really powerful for me, at least as being an Appalachian and being Southern is that so much of how we preserve our life or warn younger generations of what's to come or express our gratitude is through stories. And I was raised in a big storytelling family. Um, How I learned about my family was through stories, whether that be formal or through hearing my aunts and grandmothers say the same stories over and over again to the point where you know, your grandma's talking and like you could move your mouth because you know it verbatim because you've heard it so many times, you know. So that was that. I also think there is such a beautiful intelligence in the way that we talk in the South because it's never direct in, in the sense that you can take it straightforward. Everything has seven layers. There's just so so much interesting things that that we're doing with language that's exciting, whether it be, you know, expressing your desire for someone or being incredibly condescending or showing your excitement or showing your fear and hesitation. I just, it's it's fascinating because um, people can tell you something so many ways through one conversation. I also think life in the South and, and with my family was deeply hilarious and absurd. So um, I wanted to write a book where the women in their, in their deepest, you know, dark soul of the night nights, they're also ridiculous because that is what I saw. So the devotion, the grief, there's just a lot of pain in the South, but there's also innovation and brilliance and humor and wit. And so sometimes I just longed to, to write something where I could show some of that, all of that, if I could. I was reading your collection and I kept thinking about another debut from a black woman from East Tennessee that I read this year, The House of Cotton. And it was so, it was so, um, you know, it's definitely like a different genre almost. It's very fantastical and all of its different qualities. But when I talked to Monica Brashears about it, she said that she really wanted to make space for Black women in Appalachia to be able to tell their experiences and how vital that is to like her process and her her storytelling. Um, obviously, that I'm sure that's something that you were thinking about as you're writing all these women's stories. But you're thinking of twelve different women. How was that process like for you? Yeah, I think I think the process at sometimes was challenging, and I eventually just had to get in gear and try to get as organized as it could, um, whether that be note cards or trying to keep lists so I could keep people's storylines together and not have them overlap, especially because while the stories are not necessarily connected, multiple themes show up multiple times. 
um, motherhood, uh, grief, pregnancy, um, sexuality, things like that is all comes through in many stories. So trying to keep track of them was interesting. As a Black Appalachian woman and wanting to write about that, I never wanted to write in a monolithic sense about Black women in Appalachia. And I tried to show a lot from my own experience, but something different. Um, you know, like, what is it like for Black women in Appalachia in the suburbs? What is it like for Black women in Appalachia who maybe were born lower middle class but, and who are brushing up against, you know, white Southern wealth? What is it like for Black women in Appalachia who aren't working the land but are still deeply connected to the land? What is their faith like? What is their spirituality like? What is it like to kind of just be an everyday woman, but in this extremely significant place? How do you give yourself space to write about that? I had to trust that the smallness of these moments and the everydayness of these lives was revealing something deeper. And that was a challenge, but um, it turned out to be so worth it, you know? And it's been also been really lovely to see the opportunity of all the conversations you've been able to have over the course of your tour and to share it with readers. I've been seeing glimpses of that online, but how has your first book tour been now that this book is finally out into the world? Oh my gosh, I'm so overstimulated. Um, it's been wonderful. And no matter how much you plan, like I like to think of myself as type A-ish, like pretty decent planner. I was not prepared. I think at the end of the year, I will have gone to 20 different places, which just blows my mind. That's a mix of virtual and in-person. And just also practical things, like how do you take care of yourself and keep yourself healthy? And how do you do this when we're still very much so in a pandemic? How do you be safe and try to be in the moment? So the, the tour has been interesting. It's overwhelming in the best way, especially when you meet genuine readers who the book is meaningful for them. I get, I meet a lot of intergenerational readers, mothers and daughters, mothers, um, mothers and nieces, you know. Um, I also meet sisters. Frequently, a sister will buy the book for her sister and they will read it together. And, you know, what more can you ask for? You have to do everything not to bawl in front of people because that is really special. So it's been incredible. And I I can't even really reflect about it yet. Like maybe next year I can think about what it's meant. It's like a lot happening all at once. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. There are so many wonderful characters in this book, I am not going to ask you for for favorites because I know that'll be like choosing between your children. <laughs> but has there a particular one that your readers have gravitated to? Yeah, definitely. And it's really exciting when readers gravitate to maybe ones that are special to you, even though I don't know if I can say I'm a favorite. I readers really identify with the speaker and young woman in the Truth About Gators who is navigating her life after violence to herself and and kind of choosing to take matters into her own hands with violence too. Women especially connect with that story. Um, people really care about the young girl who's never named in her last time in Dothan. Um, and I just, I think she's like the, like the shining star of this book. Like, how she cares for her mother and her grandmother, um, her heart and what she sees. She has courage. I'm getting a little emotional talking about it. People love her. And people love, 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 love uh, the girl in um, the best years of your life who works as an admissions counselor. They think she's really funny. And then the other woman that that people love is Dell from The Miracle, who um, tries to navigate helping her daughter in love, you know, um, deal with the loss of her child. So those are like when someone's like choking 
back tears are, are trying to tell me. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I bet it's one of these five people. And it usually is. So, or laughing or excited or pissed off or mad at me or, um, or that. And then people love um, the woman in Skin Hunger who decides not, well, I won't get any spoilers, but um, that, that woman perplexes people and people, a lot of women just celebrate her choice. So. Yeah, I, there are so many, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to choose to choose either. I think there's something about them collectively, their voices together as a group. That's something that's really this deeply impactful, um, which is why, like, for me, I wanted to give them the space. Like, they deserve that space to sit and to breathe after I read stories. And um, I listened to the collection on audio, and so that was really lovely um, as well. The narrator did a great job um, of making the different voices not, like, mushed together in her performance as well, which I felt, like, lent to it. Um but you've done short stories. What, what is something you don't have to talk about your current project, but is there something in the future that you would like to do, um, that you haven't been, you know, had a chance to do yet? I feel like you're really early on in your career. Like the world is your oyster. I love poetry and I read a bunch to help me write this book. And so I think it may take me until I'm 80, but I would love to be working in poetry in some form. So that's one thing I'm interested in, even if I'm just still borrowing from poets to help me understand how to write the next thing. I know poetry has has to be at the center of everything I'm going to do. It just helps me, you know. Something I haven't been able to do, I think I love research so much. And I think continuing to write books where I have to do research and reading other people's work is really exciting for me, so I hope to do that. Usually, if there's something I really want to try to do, I'm just going to try to find a way to do it. So now it's just putting the plan to action and taking the time to to carve out and spending more time in archives. I think for my next project, hopefully, there'll, there'll be a historical bent, and I really would love to have some training to help me understand how to use archives and work more with librarians and uh, researchers, research librarians. Those are those are people I really admire and I love to work with librarians. So something like that. Librarians are, are pretty great. Yes, they're everything. This is a short story episode. Uh, so what short story collections would you like to recommend? And that can be Appalachian, Southern, or even from somewhere elsewhere in the world. Okay, I'm going to recommend, I'm going to do three. So The first one I'm going to recommend, probably my favorite of all time, and that's Woman Hollering Creek by Sandra Cisneros. I think it came out in 1992. It is uh, pretty untouchable. So it's just an incredible collection about loss and girlhood and womanhood and coming of age. Um, So that collection is, is really important to me. So I recommend that. Let me think. Number two. I think I'd recommend Lost in the City by Edward P. Jones. Um, It is beautiful. It's set in D.C., I believe. Um, So I'd recommend that collection. It's just like a masterpiece. And then I'm going to recommend Alice Walker's. um, Oh, Alice Walker's In Love and Trouble. Really strong collection that taught me so much. And I kind of um, just read it over and over again to help me even write this book. So. Those are my three recs. So the last closer cue I have for you is, um, you know, you've been on book tour and now we're heading into the holiday season. When you have a chance to sit and breathe again, what book are you going to pick up and read next? That's a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) I love that question. I have like stacks for things I'm trying to get into when I have time. The one I'm really looking forward to read over Christmas break fiction-wise is called Decent People. I'm really excited to read that. I, I Let me look. It's Oh, it's by Deshaun Charles Winslow. So I'm really excited to read Decent People. And then um, a nonfiction book I'm really excited to read is Wilmington's Lie. It's about the racial massacre that happened in Wilmington, North Carolina in the 1800s, I believe. But I've been wanting to read it and... 
it's just a thick book and I haven't had time. So one, one nonfiction, one fiction. I always like to just give a shout out to, to independent bookstores. I think that's really important. On this tour, they've been so gracious to me and they do such a great job at selling books word of mouth and they, they just take care of readers. And so I always like to say um, to take care of them. You know, it's really good to support Black authors through independent bookstores. So that's really important. But um, no, just just thank you for having me. And just thank you for readers, uh, for engaging with the, the collection. It, it means a lot. So thank you. Well, I love that. Thank you for those recommendations. And I will be sure to link them in the show notes so listeners can go find them. Read Appalachia is brought to you in part by the wonderful folks at Ko-Fi. Ko-Fi is a platform that allows people to, as they say, buy Read Appalachia a cup of coffee. So you can do one-off donations or you can set up a recurring situation. And there I like to put a little uh, snippets about what's going on behind the scenes and what the themes are, what Seasons 2 theme will be going up first there. So if you want an inside look, you can head over to Ko-Fi. And it really helps pay the uh, production costs of a podcast. Podcasting is expensive. And right now it is still mostly funded by me. So I greatly appreciate uh, everyone who has supported Read Appalachia through Ko-Fi. So you can definitely find Ko-Fi in the show notes. And now back to our show. I just felt like I could sit and talk to Hallie Hill about books for forever. Uh, so thanks again to Hallie for coming on the show. And definitely go check out her book over at Hub City Press. Speaking of Hub City authors, my next guest is George Singleton, whose book You Want More Selected Stories came out from Hub City Press a few years ago. His most recent collection, The Curious Lives of Nonprofit Martyrs, and his essay collection, Asides, Occasional Essays, just came out this season. So he has been quite busy uh, having two books to promote. But I want to talk to uh, George about short stories because I don't know a lot of writers who primarily write short stories as opposed to eventually also writing novels. And he says, he talks about the novels that he has written, but how really short stories are the thing that I guess has captured his attention that is, of course, my paraphrase. Uh, but I really find his short stories interesting. And I love hearing about how his short stories have changed over time, because as we all do, people change over time. That means the short stories you write will change over time. And I find that endlessly fascinating. Uh, but yeah, he was such a delightful soul to talk to. And uh, I guess without further ado, here's my conversation with George Singleton. Uh, you know, I'm George Singleton. I live in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I write short stories. That's my bio. <laughs> well, you have released two books this year, I believe. How has it been like releasing both a short story collection and an essay collection within such a short amount of time? Probably a big mistake, really. Um, I had uh, this. Set, this is going to wander a little bit. Uh, you know, I, the pandemic, and I've been writing stories. I've been having them published in journals and stuff. And then uh, a woman named Christina Vergano wrote me, and she said, and she did, you know, the cover. Here's the cover with the monkey mermaid thing on it. And she wrote me, and she said, "Hey George, I don't know if you know me. I did the cover for your." book the half mammals of dixie and i would be on and i love your work and i would be honored to have another cover of your work and i went golly that's really nice you know she said i would charge your publisher nothing so i went well i better you know that's really nice i better go get together some stories so i started looking through all these stories that i'd had published over the last few years and um got them together and i sent them to Dezank, my publisher that because design doesn't bother me about writing novels. They just, you know, short stories, fine, go for it. So um, I wrote 
editor is named Michelle Dodder, uh, and um, she's a really nice woman. I like her a lot. And I told her this information. She goes, I love that woman. Christina Vergano is kind of famous. So um, got together the stories. I told Michelle, the editor, here's the bad news. I, I don't want to do another book tour again, ever. I don't think they're worthwhile. You go travel forever. You get five people show up. You might sell one book. Duh. You know, I'm just sitting around giving things to my accountant. I drove 700 miles to, to make $2.90. Um, she said, we're on the same page. Don't worry about it. Then they get a new publicist who said, who said, wrote to me, what are some good uh, book venues, book bookstores in the South? Well, there's a million. So I wrote her all. And then two weeks later, she said, there are 25 bookstores that want to have you between New Orleans and Virginia. And I went, no, 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 no. You, you didn't hear this. I don't want to go do a book tour at all. I ended up doing like seven or eight. You know, I did a couple book festivals and, <laughs> and the ones around here. So had Hub City Books Shop and M. Judson in Greenville and one down all good books down in Columbia. Oh, uh, boy. Uh, so anyway, that's how that book came out. Was And I noticed that a bunch of my stories that I've been writing over the last few years had um, nonprofit organizations. The person worked for a nonprofit or a nonprofit was mentioned in it or something. So that's how that one came about. The other book is called Asides, Book of Essays. And this happened because I read a great book of essays by the writer Matthew Vollmer. And I thought, man, these are good essays. You know, I've written a bunch of essays over the last 30 years. I should get them all together. Well, unfortunately, I don't keep anything. So I didn't have any magazines. I didn't. I had a, a two or something. And I don't keep them in my computer because once they're published, I'd go put them in the trash. So I think the computer is going to get overloaded. So um, I had to order a bunch of magazines and go online. Some of them were online. And so I got those all together, and that's, you know, they're just me being an idiot telling uh, personal essays. So that's how, then they both kind of came out almost, at, you know, one came out in September, one's coming out November 7th, a little bit too close for my liking. And, uh, but anyway, you know, here I am. Probably never have another book again in my life because I'm old and I'm tired. <laughs> I smoke too much. So you are really well known for your short stories and you have so many books. I went online and was just looking up to find, you know, to figure out how many books that you had. And I think I lost count. Um, and I guess, how did you start writing short stories and you're more, most well known for your short, short stories. So what draws you to them? That's a, um, Kendra, not only are you um, thrown by the number, um, sometimes people, uh, I just had a person introduce me live in person and say, he has written two books of stories. I went, really? How old was that biography? You know, um, so it's like 10 books of stories. Um, stories, I, you know, when I first started writing, I started writing in college and I wrote this god awful. 450 page novel kind of in college at, at, at like my senior year and then a little bit afterwards and then I wrote another really bad 250 page novel in graduate school and then a, and also in graduate school another terrible 300 page uh, novel that came to a thousand pages and every professor I'd ever had said you're going to be ready when you reach a thousand pages of course I always thought I'm so smart it ain't going to take me a thousand pages. Of course, I've got nothing published. I didn't, I didn't even know how to send those things off. I knew they were bad. So then I started teaching at a college and I, I don't, um, I am not one to say, Ooh, teaching is so hard. I get real pissed off when I hear professors go teaching so hard. Really? You ever tried roofing? Have you ever driven a garbage truck? Have you ever done construction work? You ever painted houses? That's tough. Writing's a breeze. But when I started teaching, I had four English 101 classes that had 25 students in each class, and they were required to write 10 papers. I can't do the math, but that was a lot of, was a lot of grading. And I started writing short stories. So, and, and I also was, started reading um, short stories a little bit more 
than I had in the past. In the past, I'd been reading just goofball novels by, well, not, not all novels, uh, Thomas Pynchon, Donald Barthelme, short stories, John Barth, just kind of weird, not traditional. I'd never read any Faulkner. I'd never read any, I didn't re read Moby Dick. I read Faulkner and Moby Dick when I was 33 years old because I thought, well, I might die, kind of like Jesus, you know. So, um, uh, and Flannery O'Connor. I started reading Flannery O'Connor, and then I went, oh, so everything kind of came together. Uh, here's a short story, and here's people living in the South in small towns where I'm from. I, I you know, I'd, at the time, I didn't know that one could write about small towns and make them interesting. I thought you had to write about Nice, France, Washington, D.C., Memphis. Because that's where those three bad novels, that's where they were set, you know. So, so anyway, does that answer, what was the question? I told you I'd wander. <laughs> Part of that question was asking about what draws you to short stories. But you've, you started talking about Southern culture and how that connects to short stories. Is that something that, was that part of what drew you to writing short stories? A lot of it had to do with um, impatience and and my and my getting tired of my own voice, you know, uh, for a novel. I've written, you know, a couple novels that got published, and boy, I just get tired of my own voice. And short stories, it's like a challenge, you know. You go, can I tell this story? You know, for example, in this last book, usually I hear a voice in my head, and it's the first line, and the one story was, nowadays, Ms. Starling would be fired period. And then, so I hear that voice and go write it down 4.30 in the morning and I go, I wonder what the hell she did. And then just go on with that story. You know, it's, um, also I think, you know, um, Randall Jarrell, the poet, uh, from up in Greensboro once said that the chances of writing a great poem are about the same as sitting in a lounge chair at night and having a meteor fall in your lap. And I, and it's probably true. And when you think about the great poets like Yeats, probably wrote 12 great, in my opinion, 12 great poems, but a lot of not great poems. And for a novel, I'm not going to write a great novel. I don't think anybody is. But maybe there's a chance I'll, I'll write a great short story. So that's that's my thing. So you've written, like we talked about, a lot of short stories. What has changed about maybe your process or how you view short stories over the years? Have you had more and more collections come out? Um, well, I think early on, I was probably writing more slapstick stuff, which is, you know, it's okay in the movies. You know, you can watch The Three Stooges, and that's slapstick, you know, Mo hits Larry in the head with a frying pan. Uh, Larry pokes Curly's eyeballs out. So I was writing slapstick. I think, especially lately, and especially this new book, there's some there's some more serious and sad stuff. I, I think most of them are comedic, but they probably turn toward uh, tragedy toward the end. You know, so I, I think that I'm golly, if I ever write another book of stories, it's going to be just all sad, but uh, who knows? One of the things I love about Appalachian literature and about Southern literature is I think a lot of it lends itself to short stories. There's just something about, there's just something about the kind of culture, that everyday quality of those kinds of stories that really captures my attention. And you've talked a little bit about that. Is that something that you wanted to do with your short stories or were you trying to experiment? How did that process look like for you? Yeah, you know, I think probably when I, you know, I don't think of myself as an Appalachian writer, and I don't think of myself as a Southern writer. Uh, I don't think of myself as a writer most days. Um, I'm just a, a man who's angry about how his tomatoes didn't really grow this past season. Uh, I think with the story, with especially Appalachian stories, I mean, you know, with a short story, you kind of start with a big punch in the face, and you see where that goes. I bet I started writing the stories that I kind of write after I read Bobby A. Mason's short story, Shiloh, which is just a perfect short story. Um, I forget how that starts now. Norma Jean and Leroy something. Um, 
But in a in a good story, whether they're Appalachian or Southern or, or anything, but typically Southern and, and Appalachian, they start kapow. You know, they start with a they start with a big conflict right off the bat. First sentence, conflict. And you see where that goes. You don't start off with the sun was shining, the children were walking around in the park, it was a beautiful day. You start more like um Someone drove off the road and crashed through my house. You start right there with some conflict. So, um, and it's usually a John Deere tractor. I know i've I've seen I've seen John Deere tractors on the side of the road. If you run into it, sometimes I'm like that. That would make an interesting story. I kind of wonder how did it end up there, and is anyone coming back for it? So you've talked about how you have short story collections and now this collection of essays. You've written a novel. Is there any kind of writing that you would like to tackle in the future that you haven't done already? Well, I, you know, I've, I have my smart alecky answer to that, which is, book book is next. But nah, you know, I'm not even good at, good Lord have mercy, I'm not good enough at anything to go on to something else. I think I would never... You know, back in maybe college, I wrote some b- bad poetry thinking that that would uh, get me a girlfriend, and that, that didn't work out. And uh, I don't cook enough to write a cookbook, although I have written food writing. I actually had an essay in Best American Food Writing one time, but it had to do with Vienna sausages. I don't think people would want a whole book of Vienna sausage recipes. You know, one of the things I love about short stories is that they are able to, they're like a little snapshot of someone's life. And sometimes they're making a decision or they're going through this deeply impactful thing. I think about like Alice Monroe, who writes about everyday life in this way that makes you think that these very common things are just so important. And then you realize they are, that that is, that is kind of the point that these little things make up um, so much. I, I, can only think of like a handful of writers that really find their voice in short stories as opposed to novels. Everyone wants you to write a novel. Everyone wants you to like from your agent to like librarians, whoever was to write a novel. But staying in the short story space, um, how has that been like for you? Did you want to be something else? And when did you just figure out, well, this is, this is where I'm at? Okay, this is going to go back a little bit. Um, back when I first started writing short stories, back in about 1986, because I'm from the 1900s, I'm old, an agent named Nat Sobel wrote me, and he said, I've read some of your short stories in these little tiny journals like the Cheriton Review, Sal Wester, well, the George Review was kind of big. Uh, do you have a book of stories? And I went, yes, I do, which I did not, but I sent him off the stories, and he tried to sell them, and then he wrote, they didn't get taken, you know, and he went from New York houses down to uh, places I never heard of. He said, you know what? You need to write a novel. Have you written a novel? And I went, well, yeah, I've written three manuscripts, but they're terrible. He says, write another one. So there I went. I typed it up another one. I wrote it. It took me six months or whatever. And I sent it to him. This is before the internet. I had to go to the mailbox. I had, I had to go to the post office. I mailed it. And my hand was still in the slot when I got his rejection. I mean, it seemed like. I mean, I got the rejection within five days. And he wrote, this is 1986, 1987, 1988. And he wrote, I don't like this novel. Write another one. Well, you know, this is the kind of thing about Appalachian or Southern. I don't, I don't like people telling me what to do. So I went, you know, I kind of like writing short stories, so to hell with you. And from, from that point until 2003, 1988 till 2003, I only wrote short stories. And that was probably good for me. Um, and, and you, know, they, you know, they piled up. They got, you know, Georgia Review and then Playboy and a little bit later Atlantic Monthly and Harper's. And I was doing okay, you know, and, and then... You know, I had a couple uh, collections out, two or three, and then you know, I got an agent and an editor, and then they started saying, no, write a novel, write a novel, and, you know, I drank too much, and I was 
said, I got you a novel. It's called Novel. It's about a guy named Novel. And I went on and on about that. But I was not happy. I'm not happy about that novel. Um, uh, I just, you know, love writing short stories. I can do it within a couple weeks usually and um, get it out clean enough to send to an editor. And I trust editors. You know, they say, if an editor says, boy, I like the beginning of this, but I don't like the ending. Could you try something new? I'll do it because an editor is not going to want bad crap for his or her magazine. You know, they don't, it's not like, um, it's not, you know, if I bake a cake and everybody eats it and they say, man, this is not too good. It's fluffy, but doesn't seem to have any sugar in it. I'm not going to go, Yes, I meant to make it that way. I'm going to go, oh, yeah, let me, let me go make another cake and put some sugar in it, you know. Um, short stories are just, uh, and, and I'm a little bit impatient, so I like just trying, just trying to get a good one out, you know. That's one thing I love about short stories is that they're just like this little microcosm. Um, but sometimes when I talk to other book lovers, et cetera, they're not as excited about short stories if you were to talk to someone who said, I'm not really into short stories, how would you, how would you pitch short stories to them? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like uh, someone who says, I'm not into Brussels sprouts. And you have to say, yeah, I understand that, but they're good for you. Why don't you try it? You know, um, I, I, I don't know. You you can't, I guess I've had people come up to me and say, I never really liked short stories. And I started reading your work and I really like them now. Good. More often than not, though, it's, um, I don't like short stories. Go to hell. Uh, um, okay, you know, everybody, you know, that's all right. That's all right with me. I don't care. Uh, in the history of the universe, whether you like a short story or not is you know, nothing. Uh, um, be, be kind to one another. That's all I have to say. Well, I would ask, uh, you know, I think earlier we talked about this or you'd written me a thing about I'd say go read the sh- stories of Flannery O'Connor or John Cheever or Raymond Carver or, uh, you know, a million other people. Just give it a shot. That's that's my, um, go read Ron Rash's short stories instead of his novels. Short stories are great, you know. So there's been a lot of great short stories published that aren't from the South or from Appalachia. Is there some that you really enjoy that you pick up maybe as you're touring all these different book stories that, um, that you've read that you'd like to recommend? Well, you know, you mentioned Alice Munro earlier. I haven't read Alice Munro in a while. I used to teach her a story like How I Met My Husband. And I had a story one time that was kind of metafictional called How I Met My Second Wife, which was kind of a take on her story. So, you know, you got Alice Munro, like I said, John Cheever, um, T. Corregison Boyle, T.C. Boyle. Um, he's got wild, wild stories. Um, Richard Bausch, you know, they're kind of, they're, reality uh normal kind of fiction uh, um alan gerganus uh just had a book of uh stories out that are great jill mccorkle's stories are great uh you know there's a million of them there's a million you just go type in american short stories and you'll see you know thousands that are, are really fine when you go to look for short stories and you're looking for one that you are looking to really enjoy, what what qualities are you looking for? Is there something in particular that you like that's your taste or is there something that you do that you look for since you've taught short stories in the past? That's hard to say. Uh, normally I've heard about the story. I've read a story in a magazine, you know. Um, uh, I've read a bunch in first person, so I kinda, I'm kind of attracted to first person narratives. Um, but that, that's not the case, you know, and, and I write third person kind of just to kind of it's practice, you know, just to make sure I can, I don't personally like writing third person stories cause it feels like, I don't like the, you know, I got to keep out my jokes. Um, you know, they, they, they feel like, uh, feel like writing essays, you know, like schoolwork. I tend toward comedic and, uh, you know, literature of the absurd, but that's just me. So a guy named Kevin Wilson, 
I like a lot. But, you know, yeah. There's so many different options with short stories. I remember a few years ago, everything was like fabulism and magical realism. And that was just every short story that I seemed to pick up would have different elements of that. But now it's like we've kind of moved back towards some reality, like grounded in reality kind of short stories. And that's been really interesting to see those trends like come and go in the short story environment. Yeah, well, there's a woman named Kelly Link, Mm -hmm. and she wrote kind of wild stories um and i like those stories a lot but um they're too smart for me i can't write them (laughs) i just got her new short story collection um this year i haven't read it yet um and she's supposed to also have a novel coming out next year which um i just got um some emails about but she her short stories just take you out of this world like like dark fairy tales almost yeah they are fairy tales yeah um I think I think she went to UNC Greensboro, where I went. I'm pretty sure she did. Um, and just wild tales um, that I'm 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 not smart enough to write. Um, she knows a bunch. It's not like it's metafiction, but in a weird way, I guess it is metafiction because she knows a lot about, let's say, Hansel and Gretel, and then take does a take on that. But you know. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Kendra, great talking to you. TeePublic allows us to have a wide range of different options in regards to products and design. So we have Reed Appalachia logo designs in dark colors and in light colors and you can have that put on a t-shirt a hoodie a tote bag magnets stickers a onesie all sorts of things and so you can order things that way i also have state specific designs so you can get reed maryland reed west virginia or reed south carolina whatever state you live in or have allegiance to that is in the arc those are there in our merch store There's also some uh, band books merch there as well. So you can order. We have lots of different things. And if you have an idea for design, definitely shoot me a message. But yes, as we head into the holiday season, if you have an Appalachian friend, feel free to peruse the merch store. uh, That really goes a long way to support the show. All right, back to our episode. I just love hearing about the process of writing and what that looks like and perspectives people have on going in and writing short stories. And, you know, Georgia's short stories are these incredible little like microcosms of the South. And uh, a lot of them are, are really funny and fascinating. And I just think that is just something that's very interesting when you have such a large catalog of short stories. So definitely check out his books. I linked the most recent ones again in the show notes, and you can go check those out. Well, those are our two guests for today. And, you know, I I love hearing the process of how writing comes to be. Maybe it's the inner editor in me, but I just think that your stories are so fascinating. They're a perfect little gem, so difficult to write. And I just greatly admire people who who do that. And I hope that you have learned more about short stories. I don't know if you sitting there listening to this podcast read a lot of short stories, but uh, I I feel like when we talk about reading literature, uh, whether it's capital A literature or lowercase L literature, um, we often forget about short stories, but they are such a beautiful form and something that I always love picking up. So I will be sharing more recommendations of short stories, both Appalachian and and from elsewhere. And those will be over on Read Appalachia social media at Read Appalachia. If you are looking for a specific kind of short story collection, you can feel free to reach out. Um, but yeah, we're going to be sharing a lot of short stories over the course of the holiday season. And in our next episode, we'll be talking about some of my favorite books of the year as well. So lots of book recommendations coming here at the end of the year. It is that time. Book list season is upon us. So yeah, I hope you found some new favorite authors 
I hope you also are going to go pick up some of George's books and Hallie's new short story collection. Uh, So much great literature. I get very excited very quickly about books. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to quit my ridiculousness. And that's our show for today. A heartfelt thank you to George Singleton and Hallie Hill for coming on the show. You can find both of them um, and all of their links and info, etc. down in the show notes. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, you can find all the myriad of ways to support Read Appalachia on readappalachia.com. You can find Read Appalachia across social media at Read Appalachia. And you can find me at KD Winchester. Make sure to join us next time for our special a season finale. Until then, happy reading. Happy reading.